This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to continue our study in fortifying your family with the whole armor of God. And today we're going to be taking a portion of Scripture out of verse number 17, but I want to read all the way through from verse 10 and uh, the portion of verse 17. And again, I want to give those of you that are watching by internet time to get your Bible and turn to this location because I'm going to give you, it's very important, I want you to write some things down. We have on today's bulletin wrote down most of which I want to cover with you today. However, there is some scriptures that I want to incorporate. I really inserted them last night uh, in my study, and uh, they are not on today's uh, handout. But I do want you to have this, and I want you to write these scriptures down because we're talking about major scriptures today, scriptures that affect our faith. And we know how important our faith is. We talked a little bit about that last Sunday. The word says, now the just shall live by faith. Everything we do as a believer revolves around this thing called faith. Jesus said, if you have the faith as small as the grain of a mustard seed, you can do mighty and incredible things. But I don't believe that the Lord wants us to confine our faith to the size of a grain of a mustard seed. In fact, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, they also said, increase our faith. And so I think faith is something that needs to be increasing constantly because it's certainly pulled and tugged on our hearts and in our lives on a routine basis. Now, if you have your place here in Ephesians chapter 6, I want you to see with me in this passage, I'm going to read beginning in verse number 10, and we'll go down to the portion of what I want to speak to your hearts about today uh, out of verse 17. The Apostle Paul is writing, and uh, he's talking about the importance of being equipped with the whole armor of God as a spirit-filled believer as you are engaging and encountering spiritual warfare. And so he says this, and, and I have referred to this, by the way, many times thus far in our, in our study because you, got, you have to go back and read chapter 5 to understand what he means by finally. Finally, he says in verse 10, My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, not just some of it. Some of it will not help you win the battles. You have to put on all of it. And notice this, put on the whole armor of God. This is not your armor, this is God's armor. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Sometimes, let me encourage you with something. Sometimes 
in the spiritual battles that you go through and your faith has been pulled and you have been somewhat intimidated by the roaring lion, by the sting of the serpent, and you find yourself in the 11th hour when you have prayed that you don't know what else to pray. Let me remind you of something. Whenever you get down to that place, you don't know how to pray. Remember Romans 8, 26. The Bible says this, that when we don't know how to pray, that the Spirit of God maketh intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So remember this. Whenever you feel like you've prayed and you can't pray anymore, understand that's the Holy Ghost praying on your behalf. But our faith is pulled and it's tried and it's tested and we go through this thing of the evil day. And listen, here, here's what you do in this passage of Scripture. When you have done everything you know what to do, you've read your Bible, you pray till you cannot pray anymore, you've cried till you cannot share any more tears and you're down to your last what you think is breath. The Word of God says this, when you've done it all, just stand. Just stand. Sometimes we have to be still and know that He is God. Just stand. We look at this in verse 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And now this morning, and take the helmet of salvation. That's what I want to speak about today, the helmet of salvation. Now, I've mentioned to you on several occasions as a gospel preacher that there are many scriptures in the Bible. When you open it up, I recognize, and you have by turning the pages, you come to the same conclusion that I have, that there are some very complicated scriptures in this book. In this book, there's 66 books all given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I wish that when you open this book and I cannot say anything against the Holy Spirit and I would not dare to do that. All of it's given to us by the inspiration. But sometimes I wish even for you that when you open this book that the scriptures were a little bit more clear or a little bit more plainer where you just, when you opened it up, you understood it. But the Bible is not given, in, uh, given to us in that manner or fashion. In fact, the word says, search the scriptures. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. That's why there's preachers and pastors and deacons and teachers. That's why there's an enormous amount of people equipping the family of God because we study and we give it to you. You understand it? And then I pray to God that when you go home somewhere during the week, you take this and look these scriptures up yourself and you do some cross-referencing and study yourself. But here's the thing, I recognize that when you open this Bible, when you open this book, there are many complicated scriptures that leap off of the page. And sometimes you are left wondering, what in the world does that mean? What is that talking about? But I have also come to the conclusion that some scriptures and some text in this marvelous book we call the Holy Scripture I've concluded that some of these scriptures are lifted from the pages of the Bible to me with such clarity. 
For example, and I've said this before and I want you to get this again, I believe that the most tragic word in all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to me as a preacher, when I stand and preach, now you may find it to be different for you, but as a preacher, when I stand here and preach, the most tragic word in the Bible for me is the word lost. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, because here's the thing. If a person dies without Jesus, they are not lost just for a moment. If a person dies without Jesus, they are lost forever, for all eternity. The word says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So lost means if you die without Jesus. Now, if you're living in this life without Christ, then you are lost. What you need to do is to be saved. You need to give your heart to Christ. Those of you that are watching today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, listen, you're not just a wayward person. The Word of God says you're lost, and you need to be born again. Jesus said that. You must be born again. And if a person leaves this life without Jesus... Not only did they live a life that was lost, but they go into eternity as a lost person. And eternity is forever. I believe the most tragic passage in all of the word of God is found in Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Now, the Lord doesn't say, depart from me. I knew you at one time and you got away, you went astray, and you really messed up bad and there was no time to ask for forgiveness. Listen, that's not what the word says. Jesus said, I never knew you. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So listen, think about it. Think about the multitudes of millions of people that are going through life today thinking they're saved and are really not saved. Believe me, it's one thing to think you're saved and it's another thing to know that you're saved. In 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, the Bible says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So it is possible for you to know. If you're going through life today and you don't know, you think so, but you don't know so, and you're struggling with that element, you're just, you don't have the peace that passes all understanding. Listen, you don't have to go through another day thinking so. You can come to Christ today and know so. And then you can write this passage in the margin of your Bible, 1 John 5, 13 that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And then for me as a pastor, there is a passage in which I call the most misunderstood passage in all of the Bible. And that's found in Romans 8.28. And the word of God says this, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Now, if you look at this verse very carefully, because this is where it gets confusing for a lot of Christians and especially new believers or Christians who are going through uh, trials over their life. Look at the very first part of this scripture. It does not say, and this is where many Christians take this verse out of context and many Christians really get this 
confused. Look at it. It does not say, and we know that all things are good. And I'm going to be talking about that in just a moment. It doesn't say that. Don't ever think that when you become a Christian, all things become good. That's not what this verse says. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for the good. So you see, God takes our bad. He takes our barrenness. He takes the troubles, the trials, the tears. He takes all of the good things, the mountaintops, uh, the wonderful, tranquil places with God, times where we don't want to leave the Lord. We, we would want to stay right here, just like the disciples. Lord, let me stay in this solitude place. Uh, let us build some tabernacles. So let me build an altar. Let me stay right here for a few days. Lord, don't take this moment away. But Jesus said, no, there's work to do down below. Here's the thing. All things work together for the good. God takes the bad. He takes the good. He takes the ugly. He puts it all together. And God, whatever the devil meant for evil, listen, God means it for good. It all works together for the good. Now, the reason why we cannot see that is because we're not omniscient. God sees it all. He knows it all. I believe now, I've talked to you about the most tragic word from my position as a pastor, the most tragic word in the Bible, the most misunderstood passage in the Bible. I've given you some things this morning that are just so clear to me as I open the word of God. Now, let me share this with you. I believe from my perspective as a pastor, as a preacher, the most wonderful word in the scripture, apart from the names of God and the names of Jesus to me, is the word saved. There's a scripture in Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love this word saved or the word salvation. And that's what we're talking about today with the helmet of salvation. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, the word says this. Neither is there salvation in any other. I want you to look at this passage very carefully because we live in a modern age that some people call the new age. But we live in a world, we live in a society today where people are preaching and teaching that there are multiple ways to heaven. That's clearly not true. The word of God says this, neither is there salvation in any other. You cannot be saved in any other person in any other way other than Jesus Christ. I've heard people say many, many times in different settings and surroundings, well, we're all God's children. That's, that sounds warm and fuzzy, but it's not the gospel truth. We become a child of God when we become born again, born into his family. Look at this carefully. Neither is there salvation. This is what we're talking about, the helmet of salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So here's what I want to ask you to do today. Would you take your Bible that you're holding right now, and I want you to say this. I want, Lord God, I want this Bible to teach me something today. Through the Holy Spirit, let this Bible, let the Word of God go forth in such a way that it will teach me something today, that my heart, my eyes, my mind will be opened. Listen carefully. There is absolute, when we're talking about this thing, salvation, this is important. There is absolutely nothing that anybody can do to save themselves. Nothing. 
One of the things that the Jehovah's Witness do today, and it's probably the number one thing on their list, is that they're trying to work their way into heaven. You may know a Jehovah's Witness, and they'll tell you that, well, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. Sometimes I will tell you, though, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness put us Baptists to shame. Because I will tell you, every Saturday morning, they're out there riding those 10-speed bicycles, or they're knocking on doors. They're trying to peddle their word far better than we are. But it's tragic because the message they have is bogus. It means nothing. So listen carefully. I don't care who it is. You cannot work yourself to heaven. The word says this in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. You see, we can't do it. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. Notice this, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the first thing that I want you to notice today when we talk about the helmet of salvation, we're going to get to it in just a minute. How do I put this on? But I want to work it down and I want you to follow along with me because this is very important. Number one, if you're looking at your bulletin today, salvation is an exclusive work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Godhead. So listen very carefully. Here's how it works. We're talking about the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is a church that believes in the Trinity. Here's how salvation works. God designed it. You see, according to Scripture, the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So in the scope of God's mind, listen now, God knew that when he created man in his own likeness, in his own image, when he took the dust of the ground, the Word of God says, and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and he became a living soul. Before all of that happened, God saw way back, way back, way back. God knew because he's omniscient. God always knew that if he created man, man would indeed fall, he would rebel, he would sin, he would disobey God, and God always knew that if he created a man, he would have to send Jesus to the cross. He always knew that. There was never a time in God's mind that he didn't know that. So here's what happens with salvation. When you're thinking about salvation, salvation, God designed it, Jesus delivered it, and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to it. So I want you to think about that. Salvation is a remarkable work of the Trinity. All three work in perfect harmony together. All three share an equal part in this thing. And listen to this. God has given every man, every man, in spite of what the Calvinists think, God has given every man an opportunity on this earth to receive the gospel. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. Now look at this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means this. God does not handpick this one to go to heaven, and he doesn't handpick this one to go to hell. In the scope of salvation, in the scope of God's grace, and in the scope of his mercy, thank God. Somebody say amen. He includes us all. Amen. God has given every man who's walked on the face of this earth an opportunity to be saved. I want you to understand this about salvation. Salvation is not a prize. Salvation is not an award. Salvation is a free gift. You have to understand this. I don't know if it's there on your your pamphlet or not, but listen, I want you to make a notation. Salvation is free. 
It is a free gift. You have to understand this. In John 3.16, probably the scripture that everybody in here knows today, for God so loved the world, I want you to look at those words that he gave. Underline the word gave. Salvation is a gift that he gave, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to see this in another text. In Romans 6.23, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but notice these words. But the gift of God, underline the word gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now because salvation, we're talking about the helmet of salvation, because salvation is a free gift, this is one of the reasons why so many people reject it. They think that something like this that is free, it cannot be all that important if it's free. But here's what I conclude. If it were possible for us to put salvation in a bottle and set up a street corner somewhere with a little shack and a little shanty, if it were possible for us to put salvation in a bottle and sell it on a street corner, I guarantee you there would be endless lines circling the earth trying to buy it. But the truth of the matter is, it's totally free. And Jesus Christ has made that possible for us. He made it possible through his death, through the shedding of his blood, through his glorious bodily resurrection. All we have to do in this thing called salvation. Paul said, he said, put on, take up the helmet of salvation. The only thing we have to do when it comes to this thing of salvation is accept it. It's a free gift. Just accept it. Now, there's, there's a process in accepting. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But listen, it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost us anything. It's absolutely free. But the thing that I want you to understand about salvation today is this, that it costs God everything. In fact, it bankrupt heaven. When God sent Jesus to this world, look, think about it just for a moment. Try to imagine heaven without Jesus. Just for a moment. In John chapter 1, verse number 1, I want you to see this. The word says, in the beginning, and that's prior to the immaculate conception. In the beginning, Jesus has always been with the Father. In the beginning was the word. Now, the word is Jesus. You have to understand this. The word is Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God. And the word Jesus was with God. There was never a time in what we are talking about in this passage of scripture in the beginning. There was never a time in the beginning as we read today that Jesus was not with God. Jesus is the word and he was always with the father. Let me share this with you. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, the Bible says, And he, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. Understand this. Now think about the Word. Think about Jesus leaving all the splendors of heaven for a short period of time. Try to imagine now heaven, the streets of gold, the gates of pearl, the walls of jasper without the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think a minute how it cost God 
everything to send Jesus to this earth to provide us salvation. Now, again, it doesn't cost us anything. Salvation is totally free. But think about what it cost God. It cost him a great amount of pain. The word of God said that when the Lord saw, when God saw Jesus being rejected by his own people, it caused him much pain. It caused him anguish. It caused God great anguish to see his only begotten son subjected to the brutality of the cross. Not only did it cost God pain, not only did it cost God anguish, but it cost him broken fellowship. The word of God says this in Mark 15, 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthai, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was a time when Jesus was on the cross that God the Father had to turn his back. It cost God a great amount of broken fellowship. It also cost God his own blood. The word of God says in Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Notice this, to feed the church of God. That's a responsibility that I have as a pastor. I have a responsibility to stand in the pulpit today and not give you poems and warm and fuzzy stories and tell you a bunch of jokes. But the thing is, God has given me a responsibility to preach the word of God. I would say this, that if you ever leave a service from Buford Road Baptist Church and you go home hungry, it's your own fault. Because when we pull up to the table of God here, I'm going to serve you the whole buffet. Somebody say amen. Look at this scripture. Which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased. Look at this. With his own blood. And so extending salvation to mankind, God through uncomprehendable extremes knew that Jesus would have to leave the splendors of heaven. He would have to lay aside his majesty. He would have to enter into a virgin's womb. He would have to be carried on the back of a donkey. He would have to be an innocent fugitive fleeing a wicked king. Because of him, the word of God says that hundreds of little baby boys would be killed. He would then have to be rejected by his own people. He would have to go through six illegal trials during the middle of the night. He would have to be whipped and scourged. He would have to have human spittle dripping off of his chin. He would have to have his beard plucked from his face. He would have to have his hands and his feet pierced with nails. He would have to have a crown of thorns shoved into his brow. He would have to be forsaken by the father. He would have to be drained of his royal blood. He would have to have his side riven by a Roman spear. And listen now, each and every one of us who claim to be saved need to understand that though it cost us nothing to be saved, it cost God everything. We need to know this. Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. That means that he became our vicarious substitute. Now, I thought about something this week when I was working on this message, and I think you could probably identify it. And if you can keep in mind everything that I just said. When I talked about him being scourged and whipped, they took a cat of nine tails. It had nine strands of leather. It had bone and all kinds of sharp objects at the end. And when the Roman soldier 
whipped the Lord Jesus, that cat of nine tails, when he swung that whip on the body of Jesus, it just went around his body and those sharp objects penetrated his flesh. And when the Roman soldier pulled back that whip, it literally whipped the flesh off of the back of Jesus. He was beaten beyond human recognition. So keep all of that in mind. And I thought about it this week. If it were possible to save ourselves, think with me just for a moment. If it were possible to save ourselves, if we were all willing to do what Jesus did and to go through with what Jesus did, then I'm convinced there would be multitudes of people that would be willing to die and go to hell rather than to do what Jesus did for us on the cross. You think about that just a minute. But the truth of the matter remains, we cannot save ourselves. It's totally impossible. Number two, real quickly. There are important truths about salvation. Follow along with me on your brochure this morning. Number one, don't forget this, that Jesus is the only one who can save us. I don't care what Ophir says. I don't care what the New Age movement says. I don't care what the world says. Jesus is the only one that can save you. I've already shared a few scriptures. I'm going to give you real quickly Acts 4.12. I'm not going to read that again. But I want you to read this in John 14, verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, absolutely no man comes to the Father but by me. I've already given you Titus 3, 5. I'm not going to repeat that this morning. You have it before you. And so, number one, you have to understand when it comes to this thing about salvation, we're talking about putting on the helmet of salvation. We'll get to it in just a moment. How do you do that? You have to remember that Jesus is the only one that can save you. The letter B says on your pamphlet that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws us with conviction. Let me tell you this. I I have seen people in 40 years of preaching the gospel. I could give you many scenarios this morning. I can take, for example, in my office when I'm doing premarital counseling. Typically, I require three sessions. But I have seen people in my office, and let me just pick on the young man for a moment. I I have seen young men sit in my office with his soon-to-be bride, and I have seen her either grow up in the church. I've seen her with a wonderful testimony. I've seen her love for the Lord Jesus. I've seen her passion and heart. In many occasions, I've seen her stand and sing with a smile and the glow of heaven. And by her own testimony, either I or somebody here in the church led her to the Lord, I baptized her and I watched her grow up in the faith. And then for some reason, somehow, she opens her heart up to someone who is very apparently not saved. And she says she loves him and he says he loves her. And I've sat down with situation like this in my office more than I can count. And here's the thing. When I get ready to marry somebody, I don't marry people who do not know the Lord. I don't do it. Because you say, I'm not a justice of the peace. That's the kind of thing they want. They ain't go downtown and do that. But I'm a gospel preacher. It's just like when I preach a funeral. I don't preach a funeral unless I'm going to give an invitation. I remember... Sister Noni, you remember this? When I preached Herbie's funeral many years ago, I'm telling you in a funeral home, there were 52 
teenagers that got out of their seat, walked the aisle, knelt in front of this casket, prayed the sinner's prayer, gave their heart to Jesus. Now tell me if I had not preached the gospel. You were there, you saw it. And so I don't preach funerals unless I preach the gospel and I don't marry people unless they know the Lord. The word says, be not unequally yoked together. And that's another sermon another day. But here's the thing. I've sat in my office where people, I've looked right in their eyes. And I, I, I've asked the young man, do you know Christ? No, I don't know him. This Jesus thing, this is for her. And I don't have any problem with that. We get married. She can go to church all she wants to. Uh, she can give her offerings. She can do all this stuff. That's, I'm just not into that. And that's where we come down to the place. And this really, really bothers me to some degree because I never want to intimidate anybody in giving their heart to Christ because, see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. If I say to them, well, I'm not going to marry you unless you know, well, okay, let's do it. Well, that's not right. That's bogus. Why, why are you getting saved because of me? You need to be getting saved because of what Jesus did for you. And so I, I have seen situations like this many times when I've looked into their eyes. Well, I, I, yes, I'll get saved. Let's do that. And it, it's, a, it's a hard thing because when I say, no, you need to go home and you need to think about your life. You need to think about your situation. You need to understand the gospel. You need to know what the Lord Jesus did for you. And here's the thing. Unless the Holy Spirit opens up a person's mind, heart, eyes, unless the Holy Spirit draws them, the Bible's clear. In John 6, the word says this, no man, it's just like I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. This no man here in John 6, 14 is the same thing here, 14, 6. It's the same thing here as John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So when a person is saved, they are convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. They are moved by the work of heaven to give their heart to Christ. And listen, a person cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws them with great conviction. A person that says to me, well, I'm not saved today, but I'll get saved when I'm ready. It doesn't work like that. Somebody watching today, somebody listening today right here, you might be sending away your day of grace, procrastinating an opportunity to come to the Lord because I've said this many times, we don't have the, the guarantee to see the sunset tonight. So don't send away your day of grace. This is the day of salvation. Don't procrastinate that. And so, letter B there, you cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you. Letter C, without salvation, you cannot defeat the powers of darkness. You will lose every spiritual battle that you engage in. Because, listen carefully, when it comes to spiritual battles, human strength is to no avail. You cannot, when it comes to this thing of salvation, you cannot have a lucky rabbit's foot. You cannot play with a Ouija board. It takes Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be your Lord and Savior. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Letter D, real quickly. You've got to remember that when you receive God's gift of salvation, everything does not turn to gold. And I mentioned that at the beginning of the service. If you think, those of you that are watching, those of you that are here this morning, don't ever think for one minute that when you get saved that your life is going to turn into an easy street, a life of gold, that all of your troubles and trials are all forsaken and gone. That's not true. And the word says in Mark eight thirty four. 
And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will, let him come after me. Let him deny himself. And look at this carefully. And take up his cross. Jesus never said, take up your picnic basket and follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. So salvation is a cross life. Living this Christian life is struggle. I've had people to tell me right after they've been saved, and I'm talking about sincerely, gloriously saved. They have told me, Pastor, the things that I'm dealing with in my life, the troubles and trials that I'm going through in my life right now, I didn't have all that kind of stuff in my life going on until I got saved. Then I have to spend a lot of time encouraging them. It's a cross life. It's a cross life. When we receive salvation, we instantly become a moving target for the devil. Now listen, he cannot take us to hell, but he can sure make us feel like we've been there. Don't ever think he can't. Letter E real quickly, when you become saved, you cannot become unsaved. I have an entire series that I preach on eternal security. I'm not going to go through all of that this morning, but I do want to give you two important scriptures. When you become saved, you cannot become unsaved. Ephesians 4.30, look at this. They'll get it on the screen fast. We have to move quickly. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Notice this, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And in 1 Peter 1.5, the Bible says this, who are kept When Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, he said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. Listen, if my sin could remove me out of God's hand, then he would not be omnipotent. And he would not be greater as he that is in me than he that is in the world. But when I got saved, God put me in his hand. And Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, he said, no man, no matter what. Paul said, could separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No man can pluck me out. No matter how hard the devil, the world, the sin, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, doesn't matter how much they tug on me. The word of God says this in 1 Peter 1, 5, who are kept. I'm not kept because I'm good. I'm not kept because of the good things I do. I'm not kept because of the sermons I preach. I'm not kept by anything that I have done, not of me, not of works of righteousness, which I have done, but I am kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, number three and lastly. You have to know that there are consequences. You have to know that there are repercussions when you get saved. Not everyone is happy about it. In fact, when two people come together in marriage who are not like-minded in the faith, when one gets saved and the other doesn't get saved, there are going to be many issues that come down life's road. Many, many issues. But on the other hand, when two people come together who are not saved and one gets saved, sometimes it turns out wonderful. I can remember one time that I led a a young man to the Lord. And when I encouraged him in his faith, after he, he he was so glorious and saved, he wept, he cried, he was thankful. And this is what he said to me. He said, Pastor, I want my wife to find what I have found. I want my wife to have what I have. He said, would you come to our house 
gave me a particular evening. Would you share this with her? Sort of like Andrew finding Peter. But here's the thing. I went to his house. And I sat in the chair and his wife and him were sitting across from me at the coffee table. Her name was Annette. His name was Gary. And I asked him, I said, this is a wonderful thing. Is your wife ready to give her heart to Christ? And she looked at me with tears. She said, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand what this is all about, but he's been a different man. Something in his life has changed. He's not what he used to be. He doesn't talk like he used to talk. He's something's different, and I don't know what it is, but I want it. Whatever he's got, I want it. I gave her the gospel. We all, Gary, Annette, and myself, we got down at the coffee table. We held hands, and she prayed the prayer of faith, gave her heart to Christ. Sometimes I've seen people separate over the gospel. Sometimes I've seen it bring them together. But you have to understand that there are repercussions. And here's what's going to happen, because not everybody will be happy about it. You may have to go through some family hostilities. Those of you that are watching, listen carefully. Because the devil, not only that, but he will come to your mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So you mark it down. When you get saved, and those of you that have been saved for a while, one of the biggest strongholds that we have in our life where the devil is attacking on a constant battle, he is wanting our mind. He's wanting to fog our mind. He's wanting us to doubt God. He's wanting us to doubt God's word. And so the helmet of salvation, listen carefully, is the piece of armor that is designed to help and protect our spiritual minds. The devil wants us to doubt that the Bible is true, that it's, that it's inspired or inerrant or infallible. He wants us to be confused with the plan of salvation. He wants us to think that there are multiple ways. This is why every day you have to put on the helmet of salvation. You say, Pastor, I've listened to you for 45 minutes and I have no idea what the helmet of salvation is. I don't know how to do it. Listen carefully. The devil has certainly captured the mind of the unsaved world that we live in. Let me give you one example, and I could give you a hundred this morning. Tell me, who could be saved and in their right mind who believes in saving the trees and saving the whales and saving the polar bears and saving the land from being drilled, but is for killing babies? Have they lost their minds? I thank God that right now, this day, we have a president who believes what I believe on that issue. The devil has captured the mind of the world and he wants your mind. He wants to come after your mind. He wants to cloud your mind. Stop and look around. If we're not careful, if we don't protect our mind, the devil's going to creep in. And if he does, he's going to affect your wisdom, your discernment, your joy, your prayer life, your decisions, your place of service. He's going to affect the inner peace that you have in your heart. So you've got to learn about the victory of salvation. Not only salvation does it give you eternal life and a home in heaven, but it gives you the forgiveness of sin. It gives you the freedom from pain. I want you to see this and poor health and disruption in your life in Romans 8, 6, and 7. And I want our musicians to come forward. Paul says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded. Listen now, when you put on the helmet of salvation, you can have life and peace.
And so this is the question. How do you put it on? How do you protect our mind? Here it is. Every morning, when you're laying in the bed, before you put your feet on the floor, pray something like this. Because you see, there's a big difference between this thing called justification and sanctification. You justified one time, but sanctification is a daily process. We have to daily set ourselves apart from the world and pray something like this every morning before your feet hit the floor. Put on the helmet of salvation. This is how you do it. Dear Jesus, help me today to think on good things. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind. Protect my mind from the evil one, from the devil today. I want my mind to glorify you in everything that I say and do. And Lord, help me as I put on the helmet of salvation to please you with all of my breath. In Jesus' name. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.